What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, your one-stop shop for all things sports, presented by Sense Blue Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, and I am live in the studio at SLMHQ here with JB. Jason, what's going on, man? You know, Sunday morning here, we're reacting on the draft, man. I'm still trying to process where all these kids are going, and uh, hey, great for them. It's Christmas morning for so many people who got drafted and signed as uh, free agents yesterday, so it's... It, it's such an exciting time to be a sports fan in the month of April. It really is, man. It's there's a lot going on. We've got NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, the draft, and and all kinds of things like that. Uh, and then all, on top of that, baseball's just moving right along. So we'll talk a little bit about all those things today. And uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in for the uh, first episode. Remind everyone that uh, we want to hear from you guys. So please give us a call. We want to uh, get your thoughts and opinions on on different things. So that number. For the show is 972-885-9361. Please just give us a call and, uh, yeah, just leave a message with what you want to talk about. We'll maybe play it on the air and uh, definitely make sure we hit on those topics that we want to bring the listeners what they want to hear about. Uh, let's see. Do we want to go ahead and dive into the draft? Yeah, why not? I mean, that, that was obviously the headliner over the weekend. Um, as no sh- surprise to anyone, Kyler Murray went first overall and, I think leading into that, then we saw the Josh Rosen trade, uh, second round pick. Before we start for, getting into like the ins and outs of all this, so what are your thoughts on the draft in general? Like, how, we talked a little bit last episode about how we wish they would make it all one day, right? Right, right, and you know, be that it's, I get it, it's a money grab. You know, Thursday night prime time, Friday night prime time, Saturday all day. You know, it's a pure money grab for these guys. But I do miss the times where we started at, you know, 10 a.m. You got these kids who look a little hungover waking up in the green room with these big suits on. And, um, you know, then you're just flowing through it. Um, But I get it. It's the money grab at this point. It's something I I truly get excited about. I know that not every fan base does. But to it's the more I think the draft is built for teams, you know, who have the top 10 picks, don't have a promising player yet in the roster and the possibility of getting that guy. Well, sure. And I get, I just think it's executed poorly at times. Like, I, I definitely think this should all be done the same day. I think that's the first thing for me. The second thing for me is that it, it just, it doesn't need to be, I mean, I guess it's along that same lines, but it doesn't need to be drawn out over like three days. I think that is absolutely insane. And like right. by the time that it gets done, I just have NFL tired head. I really do. And I don't really care. Well, and we'll talk about this in a second, but I don't really care who went where by the time we get to like day three, you know, round six or seven. And, you know, I I know that's where you find value and all that. But like by that point, I've already lost interest. And that's where a lot of the most interesting things in the draft happen. Yeah. And I'd agree with that. The back end guys who are able to fill out a roster, that's usually what separates it. And obviously you'll always see, oh, this guy was a six rounder. No one thought about him. And you know, more the dragging out process, I feel bad for the players because you look at these kids, their agents are filling up their heads saying, oh, you're going to be a second rounder, a third rounder. You're not falling past the third. And then they go in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're doing the interview with their new team and they're talking about, oh, well, yeah, we thought we'd be going much earlier. I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder, all these. You know, it, it's the same bit from every player who doesn't go in the first round. And even some that do. I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder. They're going to wish they took me and all this. And it, it kind of gets a little old. So I feel bad for these kids who are sitting on their couch at home, you know, 72 hours just waiting for their name to get called. And some don't, unfortunately. Some yeah, don't. For sure. And, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not going to play and all that. But it just – it. I get what you're saying about how it's a money grab for the longer drawn-out process of the whole thing. But don't you think that if they made it more of one action-packed day that – it might there, there could be more excitement to be added there because I feel like nobody's watching this thing after like the second or third round, right? Um, I, I, I had it on and I would be, you know, kind of tracking when my team was coming up. Like, okay, we're coming up in a couple picks. You know, I want to hear, you know, what the worst part to your point, why it's tough to watch is your player gets picked and it may be 15 minutes until they're talking about your guy because it's going so quick at that point. Mm-hmm. And you might not even hear them talk about, you know, the guy that you've never heard out out of, you know, Western Illinois State University. So um, I think I think the first round needs to be relooked at. I think you could at least put it into two days. Yeah. Why do we need 15 minutes between every first round pick right. is beyond me. 
Uh, I mean, that's just ridiculous. The fact that you would say, oh, you need 15 minutes after Kyler Murray's pick to choose Nick Bosa. Right. If you if you don't know who you're taking at this point after months, th- that's ridiculous. They should change it to Friday, Saturday, put the first three rounds on Friday, four through seven on Saturday, move on with it. For sure. Um, kind of next up on that topic is one thing that you and I have talked about a ton, and I've been saying this for years. I do not understand how teams get this so wrong, how they manage to screw up the draft so badly. I just don't understand. It's not that hard. I know that that's almost oversimplifying it, but it's really not, man. Yeah, we've touched on a little bit, and I think there's certainly positions that are obviously harder to, uh, you know, maybe scout than others, but rarely do you see, let's say, a defense or offensive lineman become a bust. Mm-hmm. And when you see these teams take a wide receiver, you know, the the hype was DK Metcalf, you know, the kid coming out of Old Miss, yep. the big Power Ranger looking dude. And then ESPN had him like going in the top 10. The kid can't run routes. He He's not agile. He's just a big dude that can run fast. Right. He went where he was supposed to. But I mean, that's the problem is you get these GMs who, I mean, I don't know. Neither one of us have been a GM, unfortunately, but from the outside look at it, it's like, I agree with you. How do they mess? The, how do you look at teams and franchises who can't be successful? Well, right. And further than that, I mean, can we not look back? Do we not have enough like history at this point to look back historically on these picks and see? I mean, we're just now maybe starting to get it through our heads that we shouldn't take a running back in the first 10 picks just now. Right. I could oh, have told yeah. you that 10 years ago. Absolutely. It, and you're looking at teams every year having third, fourth, fifth rounders become stars at the running back position. Right. And But still, we still had – we had at least one go in the first round. Am I making that up? We had uh, the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden uh, take that Bama running back, Josh Jacobs. Well, so, I, mean, I mean, to be fair, they still only teams had – that fall for me. I mean, sure, sure. But, I mean, they still had – they had like 17 picks, to be fair. But right. even so – I. I to your point, I just don't see where the value is. I mean, let me ask you this as a Cowboys fan. Would, so, obviously, Zeke was the right player to take at the time, right? Yeah, I mean, at the time, you looked at a team where you got the young quarterback, great offensive line, Des Bryant at that time was thought of, of a you know, top-end wide receiver, and you're going, hey, we lost to Marco Murray. We got – he just came off a great year. We just need to get a kid that can – he can hand, Dak can hand the ball off to and let him, you know, not take the pressure off. I mean, obviously he's an elite back though, and I mean, I would think that your preference would not be to pay him over some of the other people they're going to have to pay coming up. Is that is that accurate? Well, I mean, it's all relative. What, what are you going to pay him? I mean, when you looked at the Le'Veon Bell contract, I, I mean, I would somewhat say, hey, I'm not. If that's what we give Zeke, I'm kind of fine with that. Because you do know what he brings. It's a top-end guy. But but he's younger than that, so I think that he's going to command even more than that. And he should. He's been fantastic. But you have to get out of the mindset of, oh, well, we have to pay him. Let him go. If that if he wants to go get paid somewhere else and go get another guy, you may take a little bit of a, a drop-off and maybe, a, you know, obviously the difference between a, a first-rounder and a third-rounder. I mean, the talent gap is still very real. That's not... That doesn't change. What ends up changing is just the value of that actual pick. It doesn't make sense to sign a guy long term when you can go get a guy in the third, fourth, fifth round, maybe even two, that could kind of make up that production and yeah, put money where it, it belongs. And I don't disagree with you. And I think looking at what the Cowboys did do in the draft, in the third round, they took an offensive lineman that uh, they believe can play guard and center <laughs> in hopes that. Um, you know, Connor Williams could slide to right tackle and they're not going to p- end up paying uh, Lyle Collins. So to your point, you know, finding those traits, and that's exactly what the Patriots done and a lot of the better teams have done is able to find depth, develop that depth, and then not pay the overpay the guys. Uh, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's a star in the league. It's hard for me to say that you shouldn't sign and pay him for what he does for this team. It's very different. I mean, I, I would say he's almost worth more than Dak. I would say you could you could probably replace Dak easier than you could Ezekiel Elliott on from one year than the next. Um, but, but when you look at that draft, you know, Jalen Ramsey went right after Ezekiel Elliott. 
Right. You're but, asking me, would I rather have Jalen Ramsey than Zeke? Absolutely. I would much rather have an elite shutdown corner sure. uh, that, that you want to pay year over year. Yeah. Um, Who's not going to command that kind of money. Who's going to command money, but not that kind of money. Right. And so it's tough to say, uh, but the, t- the the hardest part about saying, hey, let a guy like that walk, is you want to look at how the other t- the team's built around him team's built for a power running game that features him sure so if you're suddenly letting him go you better have the pieces in place to go okay well you know Dax our guy now we're bringing in another top wide receiver you know that's how you're going to set it up I mean I'd be hard pressed to say we have a replacement there I get that but that's the exact type of logic that exact same logic right there that leads to things like the Des Bryant contract that absolutely blew up in their face those kinds of contracts and I, I realize it's a little bit apples and oranges there but those types of contracts just don't work and that's what it comes down to it just doesn't well work. yeah and I think it it goes back to what we were just talking about though is building the team the right way mm-hmm. and you know having a steady quarterback you know you're gonna have to pay a quarterback that's the way sure. the league is now I mean I don't I don't understand how you can build a team without that and then build from the inside out and you know the offensive line defensive line uh it, it makes a lot of sense so it's going to be tough to make those decisions because they're going to have to pay Dak, Zeke and uh and Cooper uh, mm-hmm. all in one year so well and again I didn't looking- really I I asked that more of a sense of whenever we're talking about the draft though it just there's very rarely a time where it makes sense to take a back in the first ten picks. That's really what it comes down to. I would say I I think the the argument's valid that Zeke was the best pick they could have made at that point in time. Now, revisionist history may prove that a little bit incorrect, given depending on how Dak's career goes. But I still think that they, even though you shouldn't take a back in the first round. You shouldn't be stupid enough to pay that back after one uh, a couple of years. Yeah, and so that's where it's interesting to see how they handle that. But and it's and it's all relative because then you go look at the guys who are taken, you know, shortly after him. Uh, Ronnie Stanley tackles kind of uh, phased out. DeForest Buckner hasn't done anything in San Francisco. <clears throat> Eli Apple is traded away for like a six round pick. Vernon Hargraves can't find the field. Uh, he. he it's just tough because you don't know uh, how to project these guys out sometimes. And so to your point, uh, I'm a firm believer in doing what we saw a lot of teams do in this draft, especially the Seattle Seahawks consistently trade back unless there's a guy that you can't live without. I mean, give yourself more lottery tickets. If you got 20 chances to hit a home run, if you got 20 at bats compared to five, you're you're probably going to hit more than not. Right. Uh, I mean, there's so many quality guys that go in the second, third, and fourth round uh, that I would be trying to stockpile those rounds well over the first round picks that people consistently overpay for. Exactly. I mean, the Patriots have been doing it for years, and it works out just fine. And, I mean, they were another team that just traded the hell out of every single thing that they possibly could this time to collect yeah. more and more, and they completely restocked their system doing it. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, all right, so overall, which team do you think Won the draft, and which team would you say lost? Wow. Um, you know, going off who won the draft, I, I seriously love what the San Francisco 49ers did. And now a lot of it was, you know, people aren't going to necessarily be jumping off, you know, oh, hey, what did they do? Well, they took the best player, Nick Bosa, in the draft. Yep. Uh, you just solidified your defensive line. You know, they've taken a lot of guys up front uh, throughout. Uh, the last five years, but bringing in Nick Bosa was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Debo Samuel and J- Jalen Hurd, two wide receivers, and they're going to solidify that offense. You know, Jimmy G now has, you know, an above average offensive line. He's got three running backs with different skill sets. Uh, he's got, I think, I would arguably say now that Gronk's gone, George Kittle, one of the toughest matchups at tight end. And now you're bringing in, you know, a slot guy for him. They already have uh, Marquise Goodwin out there who can stretch the field. I love what San Francisco has done now to build around this offense and solidify the defense on their side. I- I'm not sure if I'd say they necessarily overall won it, but I do love what they have brought to it. Um, I- again, we touched on it, Seattle Seahawks. Uh, their draft isn't sexy, but they have restocked, to your point, 
Um, and so have the Patriots. I mean, you you hate to always pick these same teams, but that that's why you win is because you're good at doing these drafts. This is when you win and lose the season. So um, I was very impressed with the Minnesota Vikings draft as well. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, center out of uh, NC State, plug-and-play guy right away. Uh, they needed to solidify that. They brought in Irv Smith, who's an absolute nightmare to match up with. Uh, I was thinking that they may go lineman on defense or offense, um, but you know they saw Irv Smith falling there. I think it's a great guy to bring in. It allows them, to your point, to not overpay someone such as Kyle Rudolph. Uh, now you can maybe look to move him. Uh, they solidified the backfield with Alexander Madison out of uh, Boise State, great running back. Uh, and they, they did help up the line with Drew uh, Samai. I'm probably butchering that, but we'll let that run off. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. I think I, I don't have any problem with all that. I think that the team that did the absolute worst, and I think there are a lot of people that would agree with this with the Giants. I mean, they get on that. Could, the GM Gettleman is an idiot, dude. Like, they have traded seemingly down in almost every category in the last year. Yeah, the Giants, it, it's certainly a an interesting draft. Daniel Jones, I don't think anyone was looking to take him in the top 10. Um, now, I'm going to say this about quarterbacks. I, I have an issue when teams draft a quarterback, let's just say in the first round in general, let alone number six overall, who has accuracy issues. Now, if anyone's ever played quarterback or been a pitcher or thrown any type of sporting ball in your life, accuracy is rarely one of those things that you develop well afterwards. And it blows my mind how cocky these coaches think that they can bring in a guy who is inaccurate and suddenly make him an accurate passer. So I have no idea why the Giants think suddenly that they'll be able to take this kid's raw ability and make them into a precision passer because they won't. It's just a fact. You don't see that ever. All these kids that get drafted that they mention that they have these accuracy issues never work out, not once. No, and it's 100% true. I mean, this kid went to Duke, uh, not exactly a powerhouse football school, and I question the experience. I mean, you look at the numbers. I don't have them in front of me right now, but they're, they're not great looking for somebody who would be the perceived heir to the throne to... Eli Manning now I realize that's sort of a antiquated thing and I have lost two Super Bowls to him so I, I know what his <laughs> thing is but I mean this is like Eli 2.0 almost yeah I mean it seems like there's a lot of traits there he's gone to the Manning Passing Academy um, I from my understanding he's been coached by some former coaches that the Mannings have been under as well so uh, I think there were some personal relationships there but I, I don't understand what they're doing I believe they truly gave away Odell Beckham. I mean, that trade overall looks horrible. It just is – they're a dumpster fire. I, I there's It's almost like trading Odell was the passing of the torch, where now you're the new Cleveland Browns of the NFL. But he was less than a year into that contract. Why did they sign him to that to begin with? And paid that big bonus. Right. I mean, you, you took the hit as an owner. You paid him the big money, and then you passed him on. And really, you just – I mean – it boils down to your biggest return was Dexter Lawrence, the kid you took out of uh, Clemson, the D lineman. That's who they used to pick on. A kid who was popped for steroids. Not saying that that's going to carry over, but um, you never know. You know that's that's, that's got to be concerned as a fan. We're like, oh, this kid's already been, you know, doing drugs in college, been popped. You don't think Roger Goodell's not going to be right up his alley? Like these random drug tests that go on you don't think he's going to be a part of those pretty early on don't even get me started don't even get me started with all that let me ask you this so the Giants next pick was at 17 they picked Dexter Lawrence there not a bad pick actually but do you think that I mean they had the sixth pick then they had and this was part of the Odell Beckham Jr. trade I'm assuming with Cleveland was the 17th pick as well that's where they took Dexter Lawrence and right. then they had the 30th pick do you think he Daniel Jones would have been there at 17. It's tough to say, but I would imagine so. I mean, there's, uh, you know, they, they always put out these projections you can, uh, you know, look at online. Uh, Drew Locke was well favored to go before Daniel Jones, and Drew Locke fell to the second round. Right. Do you think so, that? Do you think that it, it would have he would have been available at 
pick 30. You know, and that's the interesting part. At the end of the first round, you really do see, such as Lamar Jackson when he got picked, teams like to trade back in if they like a quarterback because it allows them that fifth-year option. Mm -hmm. So you get to have the kid an extra cheap, quote-unquote, cheap year. Um, yeah, he, he probably would have been there, and that may, that would have been the spot to take him. I mean, you're certainly paying him a lot less money. It allows you to add a significantly better player at six than you do at 30. Um, and again, I just... He, he may have been there in the second round even when they're picking early in the second round. So, I mean, it's just tough to look at that. Um, but I'm a firm believer, too. you got to go with the best player on your board. So if that's who they had, then great. If you if that was your guy and you took him, then I respect that. At pick six, that is not the best player on your board, though. That's what it comes down to. Well, it, you would hope not, but I'm saying it could have been for them. You have no idea. We have no idea. Yeah, but they could have taken Haskins over that. Yeah, well, I, they maybe didn't. There was some. There was some reports of a lot of teams were down on Haskins for multitude of reasons. He's not that mobile. Again, accuracy issues that won't suddenly be fixed in the NFL, mm -hmm. especially behind a aging, hurt Redskins offensive line. Yeah. Um, but my, my point is that they overpaid for him for no apparent reason whatsoever, and I think that. I mean, this draft isn't, for them, the most catastrophic thing in the world. It kind of is catastrophic, paired with the fact that everything they've done in the last couple of off-seasons has just been horrendously bad. Yeah, so, and, you know, we talked about earlier taking a running back high. They took, obviously, Saquon Barkley last year high. A mistake. Um, and, I mean, he's been fantastic. It's tough yeah. to argue against that. But Does it matter? Uh, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Again, you look at these players, I mean, Philip Lindsay undrafted last year, yep. terrific running back. So, and that just goes back to what we talked about of just getting as many picks as possible, Th throw as many darts as you can on the board. Yeah, there's opportunity. You get four preseason games. Yeah, many camps, training camp. You got plenty of time to figure out if these kids can play who are in the mid rounds. Yeah, for sure. All right, to wrap draft talk up, thoughts on Kyler Murray going first overall and Josh Rosen being traded to the Dolphins yesterday. Yeah, I, I mean, I love the Kyler Murray pick. I think in today's NFL, he's obviously um, going to have success. Uh, I'm worried Arizona, they don't really have an offensive line to protect him, and they didn't address that at all throughout the draft. They went corner early in the second round, and they went Andy Isabella, um, wide receiver. I do love the Hakeem Butler pick, kid out of Iowa State. I would think that's a name to watch. He's a big target, can run really well, great hands. I think he's going to have a terrific potential there, but I don't know how you turn this team around much. I think they're probably going to be in a similar pick next year uh, just because there's not a lot of help there on the offensive line and the defense is just shattering. Here's, um, here's my issue with this. Number one, you shipped a quarterback who got no chance last year, completely out of town. You completely shipped him out of town before he even had any kind of chance to prove himself. Yep. And a good kid, seemingly. Uh, why would you want that bum on your team? Uh, they've got an aging team overall. It just never made sense to me why they wouldn't trade down in some way, shape, or form and not take Kyler other than the Cliff Kingsbury thing. I just have a feeling like this is the kind of thing, we've been talking about this a bunch on the show already, where teams overthink the shit out of this. This yeah. is not hard. You have a quarterback. Next position. Move on. It's not hard, but teams make it hard. So now they ship somebody who's a little more proven than Kyler Murray, I would say, out of town. And you, I mean, this is the exact type of thing that small market teams do that blow up in their face every single time. And that's what's going to happen here. I almost guarantee it. Well, yeah. And so you took a top 10 pick with one year of NFL starting experience, which is invaluable. That's invaluable experience. You shipped him out for the pick that they used on Andy Isabella, who's an undersized slot receiver that is extremely overdrafted just based on his college stats that he caught everything and played great at whatever Northeast school that he went to that no one's heard of and didn't see play on TV once. So, I mean, the, everything that they're doing to your point is based on the guy, the coach that they brought in and cliff Kingsbury. So, and to your point, it's going to blow up in their face. Most likely. I mean, there's, there's nothing that you can do in the NFL that teams can adjust to. There's not a scheme. There's not a player that you can put in there that 
that the NFL, after a one-year period of time, won't figure out. So right. I'm not saying that Cliff Kingsbury is not going to have success and run a great offense, but you have to do other things as well to be successful. Yeah, I don't think the air raid offense is exactly going to work in the NFL like it does in college. But I do love Josh Rosen to Miami. I think that's fantastic value for them. Absolutely. Second I would round, love the Patriots to have tried to get him for, for something like that. What they it blows up my mind that team, more teams were not interested. I agree with you. It's absolutely shocking that a second-round second round pick was the asking price for a top-10 quarterback with NFL starting experience who played on the wor- one of the worst teams in the NFL last year. They, I have they trade him no for idea. a second round and a fifth round next year. Okay. Oh, yeah, both next year. Okay, well, that's either steal. way, that's not a, not a lot there to bring in. And that's the other thing about this whole thing is that, you know, people always, we, we talk about this in basketball and stuff too, and really in all sports, but people think that you need this grandiose big package to get certain trades done. And, and this is a lesser example, but, I mean, look at the Obel, Odell Beckham Jr. trade. Wasn't nearly as much as you would think it would be. No, it, it it's not. And the more shocking part, like we said with Odell and Josh Rosen, the big money's already been paid with these big signing bonuses up front. So, I mean, you're trading away, you know, draft capital, but you're also saving a ton of money. Right. I mean, just a ton of money for ownership and against your cap. So it blows my mind. I, I think Arizona, you just have to hope that it works out for them. Otherwise, it's probably another decade of, just terribleness. But guess what? Kyler Murray isn't going to be any safer behind a horrendous offensive line than Josh Rosen was. That's not going to change anything. And, no, not at all. And let's let's look at it real quick from this standpoint too. How many? So the big comparison is Russell Will, uh, Russell Wilson, right? Yeah, yeah. Undersized, you know, can move around. Yeah, I, I'd say that's probably a fair. A lot of people are probably looking at it similar. Yeah. How often does that work? I can name Never. two quarterbacks that are similar to that. And that's Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. And even Mahomes is a great pocket passer. Right. Right. You have to. And you know what? Kyler's got a quick release. You know, he's got the arm strength. But again, it just goes back to he's you're not going to be able to run what you did in college. The players are too fast, too big and too strong to be able to have it the same success that you saw in college. Exactly my point. So I see this as a high probability of blowing up in their face. I've heard that they're going to look at trading Patrick Peterson finally, which they should do because that guy's an elite corner. Well, not as elite as he was two years ago, but, um, I mean, they still need to move him out of there. Hey, top corner, um, you're paying him a lot. You're clearly rebuilding. Might as well go get some draft capital. That's right. All right, let's move off of NFL talk since we're out of NFL season. More to come as we get closer to the season and all that, so can't wait to keep talking about football. I love football when it gets here, man. I'm always so excited. Um, actually last year I was the least excited I'd ever been. And I ended up watching more football than I ever have in my life. So uh, usually the way that goes for whatever reason. Yeah, I know. I think part of that was just the Red Sox being in the tournament and all that. And just my yeah. attention was elsewhere. Uh, let's move on to NBA playoffs. What have you seen there so far? What have you been thinking? Well, well you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago and this was getting going and, um, it's, I guess I've just been completely shocked. Uh, first of all, it took the Warriors six games, you know, I'd say that's probably the most alarming was how they were pretty much outplayed for a lot of the series, considering what you're looking at matchup wise. So, I mean, they lost um, two games. So, I mean, it's it's really not that big of a deal, I don't think. Yeah, not that big of a deal. Rockets, you know, four one sweep. That's or not four one sweep. Four yeah. one this series four to one. Um, no surprise there. I think you know you talked about just how well the Rockets have been playing. Um, so you know, looking, we got Golden State in Houston today with the series starting. You're kind of thinking there's an upset coming? I think that it'll be closer than... They'll probably run this to seven games, is my guess. I think this will be wow. closer to the wire than people think, number one. I think Golden State is one good size injury away from really being in trouble here. So if you have like Igudala, somebody like that that gets hurt, they're in trouble for sure. I think that ultimately they get out of this series, but I think it's closer than people think it may be. And I mean, Golden State opened up as like five and a half point favorites. I think that's that's probably about accurate. I mean, they've been double digit favorites almost every game in every series so far. Um, but I still think that ultimately they pull it out. But if there's a year where the Rockets could topple them off, this would be it. So I mean, they lost to Marcus Cousins. Obviously, they didn't have Cousins last year when they faced Houston. 
I mean, what's the difference? What's how could they get over the hump this year compared to last year? Because they were there up three two in the series. They had the you know they were leading in the fourth of game six. So how does that? How do they change? Well, what ends up becoming the issue is that they have they basically designed a lot of their offense this year around Boogie and how that runs through, at least in the second half of the year when he came back. And I think you go from Boogie Cousins to Andrew Bogut, there's a (laughs) substantial loss in the paint, and it forces the ball on the outside to the perimeter. And if Steph or Clay is not on for whatever reason, if they're banged up, that can make things very interesting in this series. Yeah. No, I think think to your point, it's going to be great. I hope for seven games absolutely the more we see of golden state the more fun it is uh for all the fans so the other two the other two series in the west there we had uh portland obviously handle okc and uh then denver almost got popovich until lamarcus aldridge decided he uh, he didn't want to foul last night he was saving it for game eight um so portland what's up odd move you know real bold move but you know, he's just trying to get to the beach sooner, so I understand that. Uh, Portland, Denver. I mean, are you? I, I got to be concerned as a Denver fan after watching what San Antonio did to us. Now we have to go play a a much more talented team uh, who's rested too. I mean, what's your thoughts early on this Portland Denver series? I think this is going to be a really good series. This is going to be similar to the the San Antonio series, where it's going to come down to it pretty close. It's going to be kind of hard fought, but I ultimately think that Denver comes out of it. I said that if there's a team that I think would have Denver's number there, it would be um, Portland. No, sorry. It would be San Antonio. Uh, I think they'll have a pretty easy time. Well, not an easy time. I think it'll be a good matchup with Portland. I think, though, if it comes down to Portland getting out of this for whatever reason, they're not going to stand a chance against Golden State or Houston. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, and I think it is interesting to your point that the Houston-Golden State series, this is kind of, in an odd way, the conference finals for the West because with the injuries to Portland, with the lack of elite talent on Denver, it's hard to imagine how Golden State would not beat either one of those teams. But yeah, I, I'm concerned on how Portland's going to defend. Uh, I'm going to butch Jokic. Is that Yogi. how you say it? Am I butchering that? With a Y at the beginning, the soft J, like yogging. Okay, so I, I don't know how they're going to defend him down low. He had a great series for San Antonio, but how can they stop him? Uh, it's going to be hard, I think. I think that's what it's going to come down to a lot of ways. And if you wouldn't have lost Nurkic, I think that would have changed right. things in the series. But I, I, I agree with you 100%. Okay, so we got Denver and Golden State advancing uh, to the Western Conference Finals. Yep. Heard that from J-Mac. Um, now, we already had the first game last night. Toronto handled Philadelphia pretty efficiently. I think that series could be over in four, if, you know, worst case five. I, yeah. I don't see a lot of like out of Philly right now. Yeah, I see five games tops in this series. We talked about this, I think, in the first show. I don't see this matching up well for the Sixers at all. They don't really play defense at all. And Pascal Siakam is in his bag balling the fuck out right now. And, I mean, he made like 12 shots in a row yesterday of of a mix of jumpers and threes. Uh, he's playing really well. Like He's got that teardrop thing down really nicely. It's a, I wouldn't call it a, a sky hook, but it's just a nice little teardrop shot uh, right. right up to the, the basket. He's got that, that narrowed down. I just think they dominate a man. I just don't think that ultimately the Sixers are built to handle a team like that. I don't either. And that's why, you know, I love Toronto last couple of weeks ago when we were discussing this, that's team I picked. I think they're just with Kawhi. He turns something else on in the playoffs that most players don't have. And I'm not sure Giannis is there yet. He may prove it to us, but I think Kawhi is able to possess just that next level that no one in the East has right now. And yeah, to your point, Philly's not playing a whole lot of defense currently. They, I I don't feel like they've really gelled with Jimmy Butler coming in, uh, and obviously Embiid being banged up. You know he may not be at a hundred percent. So and we still get to watch Ben Simmons uh, shoot airball threes before every game on Twitter. So yeah, I, I think Toronto's efficiently here, dude. The uh, yeah, I agree with you. The amount of just missed shots that 
he takes in pregame is just outlandish. It really is. So we got Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're yep. going to be playing the winner of the Milwaukee-Boston series that kicks off today. Uh, Milwaukee heavy freight favorites, uh, one seed in the East. Obviously, you're going to be a little biased here, but I'll go back to the point. I don't know who on Boston can defend down low, especially Giannis. How do they stop Giannis in this series? I mean, it's going to be a combination of Al Horford and whoever can help double team, whoever can help contain the switches, all that stuff in this series is what's going to end up coming down to. I don't think the Celtics have a whole lot of chance here. I think that it goes to six games maximum, and I think Milwaukee comes out on top pretty easily overall. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm not even going with the homer call here. I think that they come out. I really do. I think they're the better team. And I think a Toronto-Milwaukee-Eastern Conference Finals would be wild. I do, too. I would look forward to that, to see kind of a newer team in there. Uh, would love that for Toronto fan base, and especially with all the you know, all the issues that they've had and you know, bringing in Kawhi and the uncertainty of him coming back next year be great to see them get their shot that uh you know they've been trying to get over the past few years so we've got that um nba anything else you want to say on the nba front man i think that i have zero idea how to handicap that eastern conference finals between milwaukee and toronto if that's going to be the case but we'll we'll t- look more about it as we get closer in there's going to be more to talk about here this is a great time for the nba playoffs things are really starting to mount up you're starting to see the best teams I, I think that's the best thing about a seven game set no matter what is that the best teams tend to come out of it always yep and i feel yeah. like here that's definitely the case i think i feel like especially in the east in the west too it's going to be interesting to watch this golden state series i can't wait for that so uh, yeah we'll be looking for some wild shit i hope that harden tries to do the shimmy thing again and just misses all kinds of shots because that was so funny <laughs> oh my I, i'm excited it's it's you got the rematch there's plenty of storyline Harden's having an unbelievable year. And I don't know. I texted you the other day. I just, it seems like something's off on Golden State. I don't know what it is. You know, a lot of the same players from last year. There's just, they're missing something. It's the chemistry, man. The chemistry's not what it was. And I think that's, that's hard for this team. And I, I just, that makes, as you know, it makes overcoming things really, really difficult. It's true. It really that's does. Very so true. It's going to be electric to keep watching. Another thing that's been great to, to have our eyes on are the NHL playoffs. I've watched more NHL playoffs this year, um, just like top to bottom. So I'm, I always watch the Bruins whenever they're in, but top to bottom, I've been watching a hell of a lot more of the games because they've been a lot more exciting. I completely agree. And I've gotten less sleep in the month of April than I have in any other part of my life. I feel like with all these West Coast teams in the playoffs and – you know, obviously, uh, to your point, you got Boston in there. We have the Dallas Stars. We just tied up the series one-to-one yesterday. And the reason it's so exciting is all the division winners lost. Yeah, They went 0-4. And so we're finally, outside of maybe Boston, you don't really have a perennial powerhouse name that's been in there for the last decade like we're used to. No. Uh, you know. And so this is this is very exciting from a common fan perspective just to see new teams, new names. And they're just battling. They, they, the, you can see the players sense it. They know that there's a chance to get a cup this year without having to go into those, you know, normal territories that you're used to. You know, Nashville, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, the uh, Blackhawks didn't make it this year. Vegas is out. You know, Vegas, Pittsburgh's out. I mean, this is it's unbelievable that you don't have to see these uh, big names. So, I mean, obviously you're pulling for Boston. Is there any other team that you kind of you know, with the playoffs, it's easy to get on a bandwagon. Like, oh, I love watching this team play. Who's been that team for you? I wouldn't hate to see the Islanders have some success just because of the lack of success they've had for so long. I think right. that's a, such an electric fan base that's so understated in in hockey and professional sports in general. I mean, it's so easy to sleep on New York because all their teams are just always so bad. But <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think that argument can be really made otherwise. But I think that. Yeah. That makes it really exciting. Uh, it seems like the Stars have a little bit of juice. What's your gut feeling on the Stars? Do you think they make it? I think they skate the cup. Absolutely. The Stars? Yeah. I mean, they're playing the St. Louis Blues, a t- uh, uh, an opponent that they handled in the regular season. They won 3-1. to one. They just tied up the series, so they've taken back home, home advantage. They have three more games at home compared to two for St. Louis. Uh, ben Bishop's absolutely hot. Uh, we have... 
I would say the next great defender, Miro Hiskinen, 19 years old, who's playing out of his mind right now. And uh, Alexander Radulov, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan's, uh, I, you could almost argue the best top line left in the playoffs. So I think we're going to handle the Blues. Does it go to seven? Sure. That wouldn't shock me. Uh, but then on the other side, you look at Colorado and San Jose playing each other. Um, whoever comes out of that alive, it's going to be a fantastic uh, series. But I am, I am so confident that the Stars win this series. I'm not even concerned about it. I mean, we're going to come home, win game three and four, be up 3-1 in the series, and, and find a way to move on. So I, I think this team's just right right opponents, right time, and that's what I'm referring to in these playoffs. It's just an opportunity for a team that maybe at the beginning of the year you would have said, no way they can make it through these powerhouse uh, franchises. Well, well, all of them out, uh, the door's wide open. So I, I think they'll take advantage. Interesting. I thought you were pretty heavy on the Bruins. Oh, absolutely. I think the Bruins have an easy way to obviously the Stanley Cup finals, but if the Bruins and Stars meet, I think that would be a heck of a series with those two teams. Uh, but it always comes down to goaltending play. You know, every year when you see who the team that wins it, just like last year, I know the uh, Vegas Knights didn't beat the Capitals, but Mark Andre Fleury just carried that team there. And I just think we're in the midst of something similar where Ben Bishop is so hot right now that it's just going to take an absolute heroic effort from a team to knock him off his game. I think what it comes down to and what it'll, what'll make things tough is whenever they get to, whenever they get pushed to like a game seven type situation and everything's on the the ice, what does it tilt the right way for them? And that's what hockey almost always comes down to. That happened in the Bruins game last night, whenever they were tying it up one, one, they, I mean, it really came down I mean, after that penalty you and I were talking about before we came on the air. After that penalty, it was pretty much over. Yeah, you, and that's hockey. Sometimes you can just sense it. You know, a team's all game been really close. The other team hasn't showed anything. Like, you just know they're going to break through at some point. Uh, and that's kind of what you saw at the Boston uh, Blue Jackets last night going to overtime. You could just sense that Columbus – I mean, it almost felt like Boston could have an open net and, and miss it. I mean, they could have been skating right at an open net and tripped. I mean, it just felt like there was no way that they were putting in the next goal in overtime. Tuka Rask um, looked damn good, though, last night, right? And that's what I'm saying. You just get these – you got to have your goaltender hot at the right time. I mean, you can have the most offense flowing out, but, man, if you got a leaky goalie at the wrong time, it's tough to see how you have a straight line to the cup. Well, and the Stars have dealt with that for years. Right, exactly. So now that we finally have Ben Bishop got rid of letting in and all the crap that we dealt with him, finally got a proven goaltender who has, you know, had deep playoff runs. So Ben Bishop's been there, done that, is helping out a young team, and I couldn't be more excited. For sure, man. For sure. Well, what else are you looking for from these series? I mean, where do you think we go from here? You know, I think, you know, San Jose looks like a team that's extremely hot after winning that game seven. Uh, you know, Joe Pavelski got hurt on that hit uh, versus Vegas in Game 7 that gave them the penalty that allowed them to get back into it. But uh, it's a hard time seeing uh, San Jose not advancing. I think Carolina is just the better team overall with the, versus the Islanders, and I think Boston's been there and done that. Obviously, they're, uh, they'll are they find a way to prevail. may take another seven-game series, but they'll prevail. For sure. Man. So I think we're looking at uh, Stars-San Jose versus Boston-Carolina in uh, the two conference finals going to be electric i can't wait oh I, I i'm excited very excited well man we were talking about a little bit uh, uh, or a little bit ago have you watched much baseball yet yeah what well, trying to right i, I mean know, how do you fit, fit it, it in. in between all these uh, a lot of it's been just looking at updates um but i would say obviously we've seen kind of a shift so far this year um biggest shock obviously you're you're seeing the the champions down there low on the list tampa bay rays leading the way 17 and 9 uh, and then you know certainly a great start to the year for them had some injuries along the way uh, but the east i think we're going to see at the end of the day three playoff teams out of there i think, so I think we're going to see you know a division winner two wild cards coming out uh, you look at the central the minnesota twins are finally coming around a lot of young talent coming up they've had you know a big player michael pineda who spent all all last year on uh you know the dl our entry list now <laughs> if you want that. to refer to it but i hate that I, i'm not 
I'm not a big Cleveland Indians fan. I think they've lost a lot. The bullpen's not what it used to be. Um, and then obviously in the West, Houston will figure it out. The, Seattle can't stay at this pace of I don't even know what you call what they're doing. They're, they're just unbelievable. Everyone on that team is hot at one time. So uh, it may may take till next month, but it will cool down. Seattle does this thing almost every year where they just get off to this screaming start and then just hit a screeching halt about midway through, not even midway through, like a quarter of the way through. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it is a little bit surprising the Red Sox have started off slow. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this a ton already. I'm just not that concerned about it. I mean, even... I mean, we've got a lot of games to go. They could win six games straight and be right back in the, the thick of it with, to try to win the division right now. So, I mean, they're right. not far off the pace. It's so early on. Chris Sale's starting to figure it out. They're all starting to figure it out. The thing that we've talked about with the pitching staff is that it's been one of those situations where it's not like David Price has been really bad or Chris Sale's just been really bad. They've all been really bad, which is actually a comforting thing for those that don't follow baseball quite as closely because at least your whole staff is just slow to start and it's not just one guy especially one that just signed a contract having a catastrophic start to a season do you does the red sox have the same pitching coach they did last year uh as far as i know yes okay well you know that's a valid question because you could be looking at well maybe with a pitching coach change maybe something fundamentally uh but you know and we talked about it they brought up sandy leon uh, back to the majors. They got rid of Blake Swihart. I think a large part of that was they like how Sandy Leone handles the staff, um, which I would agree with. He does have a way of calming pitchers down. He's a great receiver, great pitch caller. So I don't disagree with that, but it also adds just, I mean, essentially a, a, a dud bat to the lineup. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll turn it around. And just like Houston's getting back on the right track there, Seattle will falter. Um, you know, not a lot of surprises in the National League, I, I would say. You know, you're looking at the three division leaders, Phillies, Cardinals, Dodgers. I mean, maybe you could say the Cardinals are a little bit surprising, but they brought in Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, you know, the team's got a lot of young pitchers coming up. That division's still wide open with Milwaukee and Chicago right behind them, and I think that's what we expected, right? I mean, those three teams would be battling for at least the division in a wild card spot, if not more. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's a pretty good call. But, I, I mean, it's so early on that there are just so many factors already. I mean, we've, we've kind of touched on this kind of you and I back and forth. But baseball is so hard to read that way because we come off this whole thing where, you know, we've been in football season where, you know, there are 16 games that matter every single week for the most right. part. And it just – it's a different pace, I think. And what we – we get to this, we get excited about baseball and we jump into this whole like, oh, well, you know, that team's just going to be garbage this year. or This team is not going to be, you know, what we thought they were, you know, 15 games in. And that's no inclination of what things are going to look like a month from now. And we just, we get to this mindset of where every game matters when it really doesn't. What really matters is series. And I mean, yeah, but I mean, even then you can drop a bunch of series and still, you know, dig back out of that hole pretty easily overall with so many games to play and I think that's the most important part to remember here when everybody I've heard a lot of talk about not so much you and I've talked about the Red Sox at nauseam getting off to a slow start but I've I've heard a lot of people talking about how they're so hot on the Texas Rangers being quote-unquote good they've got walked off for the last five nights not a great team and I mean they got off to a nice start but you know I don't know if it's really it's the exact opposite thing right there though right yeah, games. and to your point, I, I think when you see a hot start from a team like the Rangers or Mariners, a lot of it has to do with players who are battling for a roster spot and are kind of locked in coming into the season. A lot of players on, you know, Boston, New York, these these teams that we know are going to compete, they're not necessarily putting in, you know, everyday, you know, spring training games. They know they're making a roster team. Well, pretty much everyone on the Rangers, outside of maybe Elvis Andrews, to some degree, had a battle for a roster spot. Right. So that's what you get. You get guys like Hunter Pence or these young kids who weren't necessarily guaranteed a spot, but they're locked in. They were playing great in spring training. They rolled that over to April. Um, and to your point, I love to talk about this with football and baseball. 162 baseball games, 16 NFL games. So when you we're almost 30 games through the MLB season. So that's basically three games of the NFL season. So yep. 
you know, no one, if you're one and two or two and one, you're not really feeling one way or the other about your team three weeks into an NFL season. Correct. Now, if you're 0 and 3, that'd be equivalenting to an MLB team being 0 and 30. That's some concern. But, you know, uh, when you're looking at the Red Sox, they're 11 and 16. You can maybe just equivalent that to being 1 and 2. Yeah. No one's no one's burning down a bridge at 1 and 2. Exactly. Have you watched much Vlad Guerrero Jr. yet? You know, I saw the obviously the ground out to start, and then that double down the right field line. I, obviously, the BP his first BP swing was a home run to left. I mean, who can't be excited for this kid? Obviously, his father uh, started his career with the same team. You know, this is just a feel good story. I, I love it for him. I love that the Blue Jays finally called him up. Uh, second off, that just bugged the crap out of me. There's no reason that this guy should not have been in the majors by now. So it's great for the MLB to get another star in the league. The Blue Jays were smart to control his service time the way they did, even though it sucked for us fans to watch. Yeah, it's a smart business decision, but at the end of the day, I also believe it's a terrible for a business decision when you're going to negotiate with the guy in a couple years from now. Yep. And he's going, uh, well, you decided to worry about my service time. You know, that's a bargaining chip. Sure. When you're able to go, hey, man, you know, we brought you up when you were ready. We didn't hold you down. You know, we made the best decision for you. We have your your best interest in mind, not the organization. Sure. Uh, you know, thinking about service time. So I think it's I think it's twofold. People always say that's best for the organization, but same time, it might not be when it comes down to negotiations. Well, it may be worse for the organization, but better for the player too. I mean, it works both ways on this. And yeah. just because a guy thinks that they're ready, I mean, how many times have we seen someone get pulled up, shelled, and then put back down or whatever the case may be? Happens all the time. And I think that, I mean, it's a little bit different for a hitter, obviously, but I think that yeah. ultimately, though, I mean, the CBA allows for that, and that's going to be a big sticking point whenever we come to the end of it here in two years. And, yeah. you know, a lot more to talk about. Those are going to be some very beefy shows i think of what we're going to be doing with <laughs> uh you know talking about some of the bigger issues involved in all of that but i still think that those are the kinds of issues that they're going to need to target to try to calm uh calm down and and i guess come come to a little bit more of a middle ground with the player because i feel like it's only players now that are worried about that more than ever right yeah no i'd agree with that absolutely and it's part of it's a, ment a mentality thing too i mean we're kind of into the age of millennials and even past millennials playing baseball and all other sports. And we see a lot of this too. Of there isn't any, there isn't any more of this team camaraderie. I mean, it's so much everybody in the, in the locker room with their heads in their phones, worried about what everybody's saying about them. And <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. And there isn't, it's, it's, it's hard to live your life in a manner where every single move that you make is watched. And I think that, it causes players to be a little bit more selfish. And uh, I think that they should be worried about those things. Not that it's not valid, but I think they should be worried about those things. But the patience factor is going to change. That was a big thing with Kyler Murray playing baseball versus football is whether he'd actually be able to start or not. Yeah, no, and it's a valid concern. Exactly. So, all right. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Good episode number two, my friend. Uh, we will keep the listeners all uh, on track with the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. We'll keep talking football as we get closer and closer throughout the summer. Keep talking baseball. Can't wait, man. At the start of something good here. Hey, we're, we're excited for the season. Uh, let us know your your uh, thoughts on the playoffs, on who you're picking to win it all. Absolutely. Make sure to remind everyone, give us a call. We want to hear from you guys. That number, again, is 972-885-9361. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Sensibly Loud Media. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Sensibly Loud as well. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, J-Mac.